Late Night Conversations, Monday to Thursday, 10 p.m. till midnight. The time now, 36 minutes after 10. My name is Patricia Nduli. This is Late Night Conversations, and we are the A-Team. A-Team, let me remind you that uh, right now we're about to talk to Professor Angela Mathie, who's the head of Medical Research Council's Environment and Health Unit. We are going to be looking at uh, something that has been launched, which is set to... um, survey our water system, our water-based, uh, wastewater-based systems, so that we could be able to detect or find warnings for COVID-19. We'll be talking to Professor Matthew a bit, uh, just in a couple of minutes. And uh, after that, it will be 11 o'clock where Zulakat Kodashi comes in to give us the final news bulletin. After that, it is Closet Conversations, and we always get saucy and sassy after 11, so make sure that you are tuned in, only if you're over the age of 18. The numbers that you should adopt uh, to interact with us here on the show is 011-714-2006, 011-714-4045. You can also SMS 41391. WhatsApps go to 0614-104-107. Let me remind you of our social media platforms at SAFM Radio, at Patricia N. Nduli, SAFM LNC. That's the hashtag you should be using. Thank you very much for joining us, Professor um, Angela Matti. It's uh, such a great pleasure having you on the show. Thank you, Patricia. It's lovely for me to be here. Very excited when I saw that yesterday you launched the wastewater surveillance dashboard. Um, And uh, this is something quite interesting because it is set to um, survey our wastewater for COVID-19. Tell us a bit about this uh, gadget. Um, Yes. It's something that we are also very excited about. Um, we're excited about the uh, the prospects that it has to help us manage the COVID-19 uh, pandemic a little bit better. Um, uh, the wastewater surveillance has been used in the past very, very helpfully. Uh, for example, with the polio virus, um, we've been able to, especially in Africa, monitor wastewater and being able to show where levels of poliovirus are rising or declining. And we are basically using at the MRC the same technology and we're applying it to COVID-19 with partners in South Africa and partners around the world. And our early um, uh, tests and studies are showing it to be really, really useful, spot on, We've done all the proof-of-concept studies, the field trials, and now we can see about a week or two in advance of human testing, we can pick up uh, the RNA of the virus in wastewater. Very, very interesting. And now when you, when you survey this water, is it in every single community or are there particular communities that you have uh, earmarked to, to test drive? The, the, we've earmarked communities in four provinces around the country, and that's the Western Cape, the Eastern Cape, Limpopo Province, and Gauteng. And within those provinces, we have specific sites, and we are either already monitoring or we're busy rolling out the monitoring um, so that we'll have these uh, four provinces and a number of sentinel sites in each of those provinces that we'll continuously monitor um, to, to pick up the changing levels of virus. And then we can use that information to help 
uh, public health departments and tell them, look, there's a problem in this community or levels are declining in another community, for example. And obviously the, the communities that are going to be benefiting would be those that you mentioned, Western Cape, Eastern Cape and Gauteng. But what happens to the rest of the country, KZN and uh, Northern Cape, uh, Free State and Mpumalanga and Limpopo? What happens to those provinces? Will they eventually get this particular um, technology to be able to survey their water? Um, so you you will notice that amongst the provinces that we have selected at the MRC are amongst the, the provinces where the pandemic has really affected the populations in the worst way. Uh, but the MRC is also part of a broader network, uh, the Success Network, and they are, uh, with the Water Research Commission, they are aiming to cover a broad expanse um, of the of the, the country, um, but we we were amongst the first to start and test the methods, etc. And um, so we've chosen these sites to work in already. You know, we needed to uh, roll out as quickly as possible. So we looked at places where we had existing partnerships, where were, where the technology was available uh, to help us roll this out. And so we are very pleased. With the success that we've had, we can now help write up guideline documents, write up publications, um, so that uh, it can be rolled out beyond just the sites um, that we have. Uh, but it's very complicated. It's also quite costly, even though it's much cheaper than human testing. Um, uh, so, you know, we constantly have to raise funding uh, to try and roll it out. Um, even further. Now, I am aware that, uh, you know, South Africans right now are still very nervous around COVID-19. I'm going to allow KGM to come in. And after that, I'd, I'd, I'd like to ask you a question around the wastewater and the relationship with our tap water. If we can already survey uh, COVID-19 in wastewater, what happens to the tap water that we are drinking? Because it comes from there. Let's allow our A-teamers to weigh in on our conversation. The number to dial 011-714-2006. WhatsApps go to 0614-104-107. On the line, we've got A-teamer KGM. How are you doing this evening, KGM? Good evening, Pat, and good evening to your guest. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Which part of South Africa are you in? <laughs> I'm in the Kalahari. Kalahari, and I'm st- I'm still waiting. I'm still waiting for my invite. By the way, <laughs> we'll take this one yeah. off air. Okay, okay, Jim, go ahead. Okay. Um, here's what my observation has been for quite some time, in as far as water is, is concerned, and I'd like your your guest to 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 ponder on it. There, there are certain uh, water. Uh, natural water reservoirs, uh, for instance, the, the wells, um, natural dams, streams, rivers, that you you would see, for for instance, in the Kalahari, there, there's, there's rivers that dried many years ago, uh, we are told by our forebears. And later in the years, um, probably decades or even a century later, uh, the cycle comes back again. These rivers, streams, and so forth uh, start again uh, having water. Now, some of them 
uh, it will be water that comes from from the rain, natural rain, and some of them it will be water from under underground. How do we harness the knowledge of the indigenous knowledge systems and and work hand in glove with the the technology as it were uh, in not only preserving but also understanding the patterns of climate and nature and how we relate to them uh, be it us only as human beings but importantly the combination of human being uh, human beings animals and 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 plants uh, is, is that something that that your your study takes consideration of as a bushman as bush people ourselves as we 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 migrate as we move around that that is one of the most important things that we look at we are able to see where the water goes and we go towards that and if you look even at the migration of animals they do exactly the same as we do um, i would like your comments on that thank you very much kg and professor matthew um could you please respond okay i mean those are very very challenging issues and I'm not the one really who's capable of responding. I mean, I was asked to come and talk about wastewater and that's, you know, what we are focusing on at the moment. I can just say to your guest that I'm a huge supporter of, uh, uh, of, of examining indigenous knowledge. In my own work, we've especially looked at the impact of indigenous housing design on uh, exposure to air pollution, and there are some valuable lessons to be um, extracted from that. And we are looking at the same issue in terms of climate change and especially exposure to heat and how to protect oneself against uh, rising heat. But in terms of the very complicated fascinating issues around water, I'm afraid that is not my um, area of expertise. Uh, but I, I fully support his notion about um, indigenous knowledge and environment and health broadly. Now, uh, Professor Matthew, in terms of the question I was asking earlier around wastewater and how we now have a device or a technological system that can actually find uh, the COVID-19 and see what sort of activity is happening in our communities, what is the correlation between this wastewater that is being surveyed and the water that ends up in our taps? How safe are we for drinking tap water? Um, but, uh, at the moment, the systems in South Africa are such that the two don't mix. So there are some places where, you, where water is recycled, uh, but not. Uh, this is not something that we are looking at in terms of the wastewater. At the moment, we are going around to sewage or wastewater treatment plants. We're collecting samples there. We're looking for the virus that causes uh, COVID-19. And we are, we are using that information, we're conveying that to, to departments of health and warning them and saying, we're picking up rising or declining levels of SARS-CoV-2 virus in the wastewater. In other words, 
in the sewerage treatment plants in your area and we think either that the levels are declining, there's no need for alarm, or that we're seeing the levels of SARS-CoV-2 are rising. So please warn your community to start wearing uh, or to be vigilant about wearing masks, to be vigilant about the use of sanitizer um, and, and hand washing procedures, and to be vigilant about physical distancing. So that's our job, and that's what we're focusing on. And we are excited about this technology because uh, when we're testing the wastewater, we, are, we can do one test of wastewater, uh, and, and we, through that one test, we can uh, talk about COVID-19 in, our, or in, our, in thousands or tens of, tens of thousands of people. And that's obviously much, much more cost-effective than to do a single test for a single person when you're doing the nasal swabs. So it's very, very cost-effective, um, and it, it just helps take care of large numbers of people as opposed to one person. With the data that you collect from the wastewater with your technology that you're using, could this data be utilized um, to assist the health department to perhaps see what sort of areas would need more of a vaccine? Should a vaccine be available? Or even to be able to go and take this to virologists who might be able to um, try and see how the, the, the virus is mutating, if it is at all? Um, you, that's exactly right. I mean, with the information, we can say to health departments, community X is the, the vulnerability is increasing there. So please act, uh, increase your screening, increase your uh, testing and tracing in those communities. And obviously, one hopes in an equitable world, the most vulnerable will receive um, a vaccine first. What we're also doing with the information at the MRC, we started, as you indicated earlier, we've launched this dashboard so that for the areas that we're working in, anybody can go and look at the results for that week, for the particular week, and you can see whether it's rising, whether it's declining, and obviously if it's rising, we hope that that will trigger greater vigilance in those communities so that everyone has the information to play their part in disrupting the transmission um, of COVID-19 in our country. Now, with MRC's work, um, are you also um, in partnership with any international advisors or international bodies um, who are leading in terms of the research around COVID-19? Yes, because it's all—it's such a novel. I mean, the technology, as I said, was used for polio virus. It was also used for measles in the past and norovirus. But its use for COVID-19 and for SARS-CoV-2 has been quite novel. So we've we've spread our net far and wide to get all the help that we needed. So we've got advisors from the USA. Uh, we're working with partners in Switzerland in the United Kingdom, in Nigeria, etc. And we are bringing on board additional partners all the time um, because it's novel. We need to put, you know, all our brains together uh, to, to try and find 
the best solution possible um, in the battle against this, against COVID-19 and also to find the solutions that are best suited for our own country. Professor Matthews, uh, Angela Matthews, who's the head of the Medical Research Council's Environment and Health Unit, is talking to us about uh, how COVID-19 is being, um, you know, tested or there's a dashboard that is able to survey and see which communities are being hard hit via the wastewater base in those particular communities. As, as she has mentioned, they are currently working around the, the, the areas of Gauteng um, and uh, you said Gauteng and it was Western Cape and Eastern Cape, correct, uh, Professor? And Limpopo province And well. Limpopo province. And these are obviously the provinces that have had the highest numbers of COVID-19. With your current uh, research, can, can you tell which uh, sort of uh, communities are more hard hit? Because it was anticipated that uh, the lower income communities, uh, because of congested, congestion in those communities, would be hit harder with COVID-19. But it doesn't seem that has been the case. Um, so what we can tell from our wastewater um, monitoring programs is that it's a, it can be quite a volatile situation. We see in some neighborhoods that le- the levels that we're picking up in the wastewater can rise quite suddenly and to quite a high level. And then a week or two later, it can drop again. And we're finding these elevations and declines in, in many in many different communities, in, in different contexts, in different rural areas, and in neighborhoods or catchment areas in the cities. So it's a very volatile picture, and it's hard to say that one community in particular is, is more vulnerable than another. It depends very much on the behavior and the exposure of people in a community at a particular time. And I think the message from that for all of us is that we must all be vigilant and we must all stick to those simple measures that will uh, interrupt the transmission of COVID-19. And we go back to those classical interventions, wearing of masks, keeping a physical distance, uh, a safe physical distance of, of one to two meters, and then also making sure that our hands are clean and that we use a sanitizer when necessary. Professor Matthew, is it possible that we as ordinary South African citizens could be able to access this particular dashboard and see what's the activity in our own communities? Um, absolutely. We've, we've just launched it. So there's a limited number of communities where we're adding the data every week, but these will, this will be expanded as time goes on. And all you need to do is go to the website of the South African Medical Research Council and click on the button that says COVID Research. And on that, you will see um, the dashboard and and there you will find uh, the results. You can click on the neighborhood of interest um, and you will see the results for, for several weeks at a time.
Very interesting that this dashboard is available to us. And uh, thank you so very much for the hard work that you are doing at uh, the SAMRC. And uh, obviously, we appreciate the fact that we can look at such a dashboard. And obviously, the, the Department of Health is also working in hand in hand with you to ensure that uh, best practice is, um, is actually given to us as South Africans. It gives us great comfort. Thank you very much, Dr. Matthew. Uh, Professor Matthew. It's a pleasure. Thank you very much. The time now is 56 minutes after 10. I'd like us to just go into a beautiful song, a song that puts a smile on my face, uh, released in 2001 by the beautiful Sis Judith Sipum, who is a beautiful jazz vocalist, jazz artist in South Africa. A smile, a cry, a smile, and a dance.